The Home Show. With Colour Trend. Bring home Irish colour with Colour Trend paint. This is News Talk. Welcome to The Home Show with me, Sinead Ryan. Coming up today, master woodturner Glenn Lucas joins me to chat about his love of the craft and its rise in popularity. We'll be finding out how to dress up normally ugly things like radiators, extension cords and other unseemly items in our homes with interior designer Jenny Wood. I'll be speaking to the Kildare man who's now CEO of prestigious international furniture company Tonet. And we'll be hearing Roisin's rules to keeping cosy as the cold weather returns. If you'd like to be involved in the show today, you can text us here at The Home Show at 53106. That'll cost you 30 cent. Or you can email us at thehomeshow at newstalk.com. You'll find me on Twitter at Sinead underscore Ryan. Now, well, it's October, if you can believe it already. And it's the spookiest month of the year. Yes, it's Budget Day, which is coming up on the 12th. Housing is, of course, again, going to be a key plank of government action or inaction, depending on your point of view. I read something shocking last week. How many affordable purchase homes do you think are being delivered this year? Bear in mind, there's a 310 million euro fund made available to build homes on publicly owned land. 8,000? 800? Nope. Grand total of eight. The target was 6,200 this year and 54,000 in all by 2030. And as is now so tiresomely the case, COVID is, of course, getting the blame. Two sites are underway, one at Stepside in Dublin, which is lovely, actually, and the Boher Boy Road one in Cork. And Housing Minister Dara O'Brien has promised a thousand new apartments under the project. Are you reassured? No, me neither. And if you're one of those families in emergency accommodation, sofa surfing with relatives or living in a B&B, then action rather than words, I am positive, are all that matter to you. So here's my question today. If you're Pascal getting up on his feet uh, next week or Dar O'Brien, do you think you could do anything differently? I mean, it, it can be a bit glib to say, let's just build more houses. But how do you achieve just that with all of the constraints of planning, budget and vested interests at play? I will be very interested to hear solutions, suggestions and anything that we can do to change this landscape. Anyway, let me know. You can text us here, 53106, or you can email us at thehomeshow at newstalk.com. And you are very welcome along this morning. Now, if you tuned in last week, you may have heard myself and Roisin Murphy waxing lyrical about her latest object of design. It was a beautifully simple wooden cheese board made right here in Ireland. Well, as it happens, wood turning became hugely popular over the course of the pandemic, with many amateurs turning their hand to the craft. So we thought we might speak to one of the wood turning experts working throughout the country to chat about the art and what makes it so popular now. Master wood turner Glenn Lucas of the Glenn Lucas Wood Turning Centre joins me now from Carlo. Good morning, Glenn. Good morning and thank you for having me along. Now, let's start at the top. Uh, what is wood turning? Wood turning is really when you take a piece of wood and you attach it to a plate with screws and then attach that plate to a machine that spins it around in a circle. And then you take a handheld woodworking chisel, place it against the piece of wood and shape it as it turns. So it's similar to a pottery wheel in how it functions, only you're taking away wood shavings and you watch the piece appear as you turn it. Watch it appear. Now, you make it sound very simplistic. (laughs) It's a lot more complicated (laughs) than that. But tell me where you got your love for it. How did you get started? 
Well, my love of woodworking started from a very young age. And I do remember going to visit my grandfather, my mother's father, and just in his um, workshop, he was a, a hobby worker, a woodworker. So he used to make beehives and he'd also make us wooden toys. But I just remember seeing, seeing him use a hand plane and um, a handsaw and just smelling the wood in his workshop. And it's something that really appealed to me coming from, I suppose, a farming background where I wasn't really exposed to woodworking. So I, I really enjoyed my visits to him. And he planted the seed in my head of working with my hands. What kind of things, I know your speciality are these gorgeous wooden bowls that you make, but what other items for the home uh, do you craft as well? Well, for for many years, I would have specialised really in salad bowls and platters and um, supplying shops like Fortman Mason um, in London, Simon Pierce um, shops in um, America, and also quite a few shops around Ireland. But um, over the years, I would have done one-off pieces as well, um, and brought those to exhibitions in Paris and in Chicago. But I've found in the last number of years, focusing on the salad bowls just allowed me to get more and more efficient. And, um, and that's really what I got very well known for doing. Now, when I say that you do the wood turning, in fact, it starts much earlier than that. I mean, you not quite fell the trees yourself, but you chop the trees yourself. Do you only use sustainable wood or, or how does that process work? Well, I'm very proud to say that I've only felled one tree in my life, and that's a birch tree that we planted ourselves that wasn't doing um, doing too well. But I, I'm normally um, on the lookout after a storm. So when somebody has a big old beech tree or an ash tree that's fallen down, they give me a call and then I can come and collect it once it's within a reasonable um, distance. But I start with a, a wet piece of wood, a tree, and then cut it up into suitable uh, sizes then with a, a chainsaw. And I start to shape the wood when it's wet because it's much easier to turn it when it's wet um, and bring it down close to the final shape. And then that that stage, I start to, to dry it. And it can and take dry- weeks and weeks to do that. Isn't that right? It's not just a case of, of chopping the tree up, making the bowl and sticking it on a shelf. That's correct. So it takes about eight weeks to dry the bowl blanks in a wood dryer. And I have to do that very, very carefully because at any point it's very easy for the wood to to split open. Mm. Now, it doesn't sound to me like it's a job for amateurs. And yet (laughs) you do teach this uh, maybe to people who aren't master wood turners. I I imagine it's a craft that takes many years to perfect. Uh, how, How do those classes go and particularly you know, how do they go online? Well, I suppose I started teaching during the last recession, which was about 2008. And I never thought I would go down that route at all because um, I just really like my own company and I like just making on my own. But um, when people were not buying salad bowls, when they could hardly afford their mortgage, I started to look into teaching and realized there was a very, very big market for that. And I've been to 15 countries at this stage teaching. So places like Alaska, Australia, New Zealand, and even on a wood turning cruise um, on the Norwegian fjords. <laughs> wow, and, that, that's um, a so niche a market. People, <laughs> it, it really is. But once you scratch the surface, you realize how many wood turners are actually there in all corners of the world. I'm thinking, I'm thinking there's probably not that many trees in Alaska, but. (laughs) Well, when I was going to Alaska, they asked me to give me, give them my choice of woods that I like to work with. And they came back to me and said, we've got birch. And that was it. (laughs) 
and their birch was frozen. So when I was turning it, it was minus uh, 27 Celsius. So the wood was actually frozen on the lathe. Wow. Okay. So that probably made your job a little bit harder. Uh, in terms of traveling to different countries and using different woods, of course, we have a lot of native wood here, which you'd be familiar with. Is yeah. it different working with woods that grow maybe in, in much hotter countries or much colder countries? There is for sure. And I, what I would say, first of all, is native Irish woods are just a joy to work with and normally quite predictable in how they dry. But um, for example, in New Zealand, the wood that I was turning there was swamp cowrie. So it was 40,000 years of age and very difficult to work with, very, very brittle. And then places like Las Vegas and Arizona, where they don't have a good supply of wood, but the wood they have is very slow growing and very unpleasant to work with. Unpleasant. It's dried out and it's, it's hard. It's very hard, very, very hard and splits quite easily. And um, when you try to turn in such a dry climate as well, because the moisture escapes the wood so quickly, uh, what you make can crack very, very easily. So you, you have to really um, do it in a, in a cautious way. I'm speaking with Glenn Lucas, master wood turner and now teacher at Glenn Lucas Wood Turning Centre. Uh, Glenn, uh, everything back open now after COVID. Are you having people coming down to Carlo to learn now or do you have a different place where you teach? Well, we've started the classes about four weeks ago, and so far we've had people in from Iceland. Last week we had two from Iceland and from uh, the UK, and mostly Irish people so far. And um, we're taking it a little easy with smaller numbers so that we can keep a good space in the classroom and keep everything well well ventilated. Um, but during the pandemic, we kept everything going with our online classes. So. Um, I have a film studio set up. Uh, one of my other hobbies is filmmaking and photography. Um, so I was able to just diversify immediately into doing online classes and doing group presentations for groups up to two and a half thousand people attending uh, one of them, actually. Now, there is more support now for apprenticeships trades and crafts than maybe there has been in the last 10 or 15 years. Yes. You know, schools are embracing it more. There's more money behind apprenticeships and, and maybe not that or hopefully one would hope not the pressure to, to kind of enter into that points race and everybody goes to university. Is that heartening for somebody like you to see? It really is very heartening. I suppose when I started off, a lot of schools were actually selling off their woodworking machines and closing down some of the the old woodworking rooms because many of the machines didn't pass the, the regulations, the current EU regulations of safety. And um, and now I think in the last couple of years, there has been a big move back to working with your hands and encouraging other people to work with your hands. Mm. Um, also, I think Instagram has been a huge boost um, because it brings younger people into my life uh, looking to make bowls, both male and female. And tell me now your Instagram handle, just so we can ha let people have a look at your beautiful work. It's called at, at Glenn Lucas Woodturning. All right. And Glenn's work can be seen also on the children's series Makers, which will be on the RTE player now. I think it's around episode seven and eight. Um, but really, I didn't realise it was a children's series when I watched it. I thought it was absolutely fantastic. And there was a lot in there for everybody. It's, it was so beautifully filmed and um, it, it's, it's just wonderful the way I could bring kids along with me, watching me at work and having a little input on into what was being made. 
But um, it's on, I believe, um, most days uh, following different craft disciplines. Mm. And it's only a five minute show. But as you say, it's not it, it, it. Everybody could watch and enjoy it. Indeed. And you will see some absolutely beautiful work there from Glenn and indeed a lot of other Irish designers. Glenn Lucas uh, of the Glenn Lucas Wood Turning Centre. Thank you so much for joining us this morning on The Home Show. You're very welcome. Thank you. The Home Show with Colour Trend. Bring home Irish colour with Colour Trend paint. This is News Talk. Now, if you're just tuning in, you have missed my conversation with Glenn Lucas. He's a master woodturner who was telling me all about his work and the trees and the wood and all that. And it's absolutely lovely. Uh, if you'd like to listen back to that, it is, of course, on podcast available on the News Talk app, which is powered by Go Loud. And remember, if you'd like to get in touch with the show, you can text us at 53106 for 30 cent or email us at thehomeshow at newstalk.com. Now, home decor standards have never been higher, so much so that the unattractive home appliances that we once tolerated are now getting a facelift as flat screens and unsightly switches are being transformed to blend with the aesthetic. The latest electrical item to have a glow up is the humble radiator. And here to tell me more about that and other things is interior designer and journalist Jenny Wood. Good morning, Jenny. Good morning. You're very welcome along to the home show here on News Talk. Now, designer radiators, have we lost the run of ourselves completely? (laughs) Well, yes. So these are basically flat panel radiators, big sheets of metal that have had a picture indelibly printed on the surface. You can have any design you like within reason. Um, So classic or a modern artwork or or even your own photographs. (gasps) Perish the thought. Yes. <laughs> um, I think basically the, the rise of Instagram and being cooped up in lockdown has, has really helped to fuel our, our interest in interiors. And we spend a lot of time these days choosing lovely paint colours and wallpaper. You don't want to ruin that uh, with a great big ugly white radiator. Mm. So, I mean, it started with people painting their radiators, you know, to make them blend in or radiator covers. Um, And then people started buying radiators that already came in the color of their choice. And I suppose this is kind of the next logical step for some people. Right. Now, uh, we have featured them before on the show because we looked at ones which actually looked like pieces of art. They hung on the wall vertically rather than kind of behind the sofa where most people keep a radiator. Uh, And like you say, they were kind of an embossed, printed on thing, but they didn't look like radiators at all. Is that really the the best way to approach them? just, Just disguise it completely as something different? Um, Well, I think there are some very beautiful radiators out there, particularly the traditional column style, Um, you know, the the sort you might have got in Victorian homes with the the different sort of pipes. Um, And I actually think it's it's quite a good idea to look at your radiators as a piece of furniture, not necessarily as art, although that also works, but to, to see, to consider what you're doing with your radiator as part of the room scheme, not just to plonk it in there as an afterthought so so yes you know if you want to have a radiator that looks like a piece of art then great otherwise choose a really lovely radiator that's a a thing of beauty in itself um you can also get radiators that look like mirrors nowadays so if space is short in your bathroom um you know you can have a mirror 
that is actually a radiator as well. Oh, and gosh. some of them can have a, a towel rail on the front, so you can do the whole lot with yeah. one radiator. <laughs> thing, right? Um, okay. There's there's a there's a lot of choice. Um, now, how as, how much are these things likely to set you back? I mean, they're not cheap. No, they're not. So, for the radiators that you can put the pictures on, they're about they start from about uh, one thousand three hundred euros um and they can go upwards depending on you know how big they are and what pictures you want to put on them ouch yes <laughs> right so, so do you think this is a trend then that lasts because it strikes me that most of the new homes being built at the moment have no radiators at all you know they're all underfloor heating and you know trying to be ecologically friendly and all that so uh, yes. is it the case that we'll just someday see no radiators at all uh, i think it's definitely going that way um for sure. I mean, there's there's a lot to be said for underfloor heating. Um, it depends, though, obviously on the type because there's piped underfloor heating, mm. which is like um, a radiator under your floor and electric. And these things are not, you know, they're, they're not cheap to run. So it, it kind of and there are also problems involving, you know, what type of flooring you might put over them. So I don't think we'll completely do away with radiators, um, but they're certainly you know, they take up space on your wall. I mean, you can't put furniture in front of them. Mm. So if you can minimise them but still get the effects of the heat, then then I think that's a good thing. Now, talk to me about some of the other appliances that have undergone makeovers. So, yes, <laughs> uh, it really started off, I suppose, with switches and sockets. Again, the idea being you might have a, a lovely room scheme, but you don't want to shove a, a big white plastic switch mm. in the middle of that. So uh, we're going... It's kind of going back in time, really, to the more sort of traditional styles. You can get um, metallic switches now in all kinds of finishes, from silver to gold to bronze, um, with you know interesting shaped toggle flipping switches and things like that. Um, you can get paintable switches. You can get ones that are see-through, so you can see the wallpaper behind them through the switch. Oh, right. Um, it's just kind of taking something that's ugly and utilitarian and turning it into something that's nice in its own right. Another thing that we're seeing quite a bit of is televisions that work as art. So a television is a great big black box on your wall, mm -hmm. isn't it? Um, and that kind of, we started off trying to cover them. People have covered them with canvas pictures or, or covered them with shutters. But now with uh, things like there's a Samsung frame television, which is very thin, uh, it only has one see-through cable running down from it and it shows when it's not on and you're not watching television it can show photographs and artworks and they claim it's um, as good a quality as you would see looking at an artwork in a gallery. Right so it's like digital art when it's not when you're not watching EastEnders is that is that it? Yes it's just oh. like having a, another picture on your wall um, but my favourite of the new inventions is um, extension leads uh, we've all got lots of ugly white uh, extension leads snaking, ac snaking across our rooms, our home offices. And again, it kind of ruins the look. Uh, there's a couple of companies. Um, there's What What and Lola's Leads, I think. And they've started making extension leads, which are pretty. Uh, so they have, now, uh, you'll have to explain that. How do you make an extension lead pretty? It's um, Well, the, the first thing you can do is the actual bit you plug your plugs into. Um, they make them in, in sort of different shapes um, and in different colours. 
And secondly, the cord, you, instead of a sort of plastic shiny cord, you can get lovely fabric cords now. And they can come um, in sort of patterns, you know, like chevrons, or they can just be a single color. Um, some of the companies actually even dye them to match your decor. And it's it's not massively expensive. I mean, it's, it's, it's more than your normal extension lead, but they do look very nice. Right. Okay, I'll take your word for it. That seems like an <laughs> awful lot of effort uh, to it hide does, to hide the does, things that we absolutely have to have in our, in our homes and in our sitting rooms. All right. Uh, Jenny Wood, thank you uh, so much for joining us here in The Home Show. And Jenny Wood can be found on Twitter at Woody Jen. And thanks a million for giving us your time, Jenny. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. Brian Boyd has reached dizzying heights in the furniture world since he set off to Germany on a school exchange programme over three decades ago, a story similar to so many other Irish expats spread out across the world. Now CEO of prestigious furniture company Tonet, the Kildare man has made a name for himself on the international stage. Brian joins me on the line now. Morning, Brian. Welcome along to The Home Show. Good morning, Sinead. Nice to talk to you. Now, like all great adventures, um, you went to Germany for a year and ended up staying three decades. How did that happen? Yeah, that's right, Sinead. It was one of those things that happened uh, pre-Celtic Tiger. I studied at DCU or NIHE Dublin as it was back then and uh, spent a year at a German university, which I think was very important in terms of giving us Irish people, let's say, a few different viewpoints, um, seeing how things are done outside the country. Um, Germany was, of course, and still is a, a, a big market, a big marketplace. And I think it became very important for the Celtic Tiger that um, Ireland and Irish people, Irish graduates, developed an understanding of how things work in other countries. And uh, yeah, as I said, it took me to it took me to Germany for a year, ended up doing a placement. Um, my dad worked in the office furniture business back then. So when the question was asked, you know, what do you want to do for your placement? I said, well, see, can you get me something in the furniture industry? So that's how it turned out. <laughs> right. So you were kind of setting up uh, maybe to go back into the uh, that business in Ireland and it just Germany was your side swipe. Was that it? Uh, possibly. Yeah. At that point in time, I think there was very little going on on the graduate front. Mm. And uh, you had to be creative to see, you know, what options were open for you. But probably in the back of my mind, um, I was thinking about doing a few years in Germany. And going back to Ireland at some stage, um, that would have been the plan, but it didn't work out that way. No, these things rarely do. And I think, you know, it's easy to forget nowadays with practically every student doing a gap year, an Erasmus year, you know, living abroad period, that it wasn't like that in the 80s. You you did have to kind of forge your own path and and a lot of luck came into it. Um, Anyway, you ended up in Tonette. Talk to me about what makes that furniture so distinctive. Now, if anybody is listening uh, who wants to look it up, you will immediately recognise some of these iconic pieces. And and they really are iconic, Brian. Yeah, I mean, I think the iconic is the right word, Sinead. Um, We think we're the oldest furniture manufacturer in the world, certainly in Europe. Uh, The company was founded in 1819 by Michael Tonnet, and his vision back then was finding a way to mass produce furniture. Because at that stage, if you wanted to buy furniture, you probably went to the local carpenter, or in many cases, it was the local undertaker. And if he wasn't busy (laughs) making coffins, uh, he had time to to make your four chairs and a table or whatever it was you wanted. And the idea of 
being able to mass produce furniture, to, to industrialize furniture production. That's mm. what sort of drove him at that time. And he ended up spending 40 years before he, you know, perfected the technology. And the famous Viennese coffeehouse chair, the, the 214, the 14 chair, as it was called back then, that was the first really mass produced piece of furniture in the world uh, we've made it more than 60 million times wow and uh if you look at it today basically you'll find this chair in hollywood films you you'll see lisa minnelli minnelli sitting on it uh, in, in the cabaret film it goes back you'll see you'll see pablo picasso sitting on some of our products and you know from that point of view it really is something special to be part of a company which is doing something which started you know 200 years ago it is the classic bento chair and and i think maybe people don't realize i certainly didn't that at some point that had to be designed it's almost as if it was always here because it's it's such a famous piece you know but it is one of those things that just has such an immense history that chair number 14 it's it's extraordinary and of course You've moved on now to do more modular, curved design, like tubular steel chairs. Again, a lot of offices would still have those today and uh, they would be immensely popular. Yeah, the, 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 it's, it, it's nice that you say we've, we've moved on to that. It actually happened probably 60 or 70 years later <laughs> in the 19, 1920s, yeah. 1930s. And again, you know, when I say I'm proud of being associated with a company that has been around for so long, um, you know these pieces, the the tubular steel classics that were developed at Bauhaus by the uh, by by famous designers such as Mies van der Rohe, Matt Stamm, Marcel Breuer. These were the people who founded the Bauhaus movement in Germany between the two wars, where people were giving a lot of thought to you know things had to change. The old uh, imperial Kaiser period was over. Germany was in a was in a phase where things were being renewed, and these are the people who said, well, listen. Um, Maybe furniture, maybe chairs don't have to be made of wood. Let's look at this technology, tubular steel, and how to bend it. And I think today, as you said, if you go into any office, uh, whether it's in Dublin, whether it's in Berlin or anywhere, you'll find these tubular steel cantilever chairs. But what maybe some people don't know is that Tonnet was the beginning of that as well. They actually invented this process of bending steel mm. Uh, to make chairs and um, you know we're making these products today just like with the bentwood chair the original classics from the tubular steel period which came out between 1929 and 1932 uh, we had an interesting case after reunification in Germany um, the National Library in Leipzig which was behind the Iron Curtain it was in East Germany uh, we we had done the project there in 1933. We'd put, um, you know, seven, eight hundred chairs into the National Library back then. And after reunification, we got a call from those people saying, listen, um, we found your name under some of these chairs that we have here. We might need some spare parts. <laughs> and the, the brilliant thing about that was that we're still making that chair today. So uh, it wasn't a question of making spare parts specially for them they could just buy the new product and uh, basically it's the same product as it was back then in 1933. It really is the ultimate in sustainability before that was ever a concept and what do you think about it about the products that Tonet make that give it such lasting power is it just the classic uh, shape uh, the design that people say this fits in anywhere in uh, 2021 as it did in 1921? Well, sustainability uh, is something which is, um, I think, one of the foundation stones of our company. And if you think about 
design and uh, cultural history, um, anything that's uh, in a position to become timeless has to be has to be able to make a huge contribution mm. to 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 um, environmental sustainability. You know, in some ways. People talk a lot today about what are things made from and uh, is it recycled? Is it recyclable? But we look at it from the point of view, um, how long will a product last? And the story I just told you about the, uh, the library in, in Leipzig um, with you know, products that have been there for 90 years now, anything that can last that long physically uh, must make a major contribution. But there's, there's also the question of um, sustainability or stability of design, mm, I think. Mm. A lot of the stuff, if you go into any furniture store today, whether it's in Dublin or whether it's somewhere somewhere else, you'll see products which um, yeah which, which, which are which, which are nice, which are attractive, which people are happy buying. But if you try and imagine how these products will look in 10 years time or if you go back 10 years and look at the sort of furniture we were buying 10 years ago, you see things go out of date, go out of fashion very quickly. And I think that's one of the one of the key things when we talk about sustainability, you're making a timeless design. You're making something which is as valid now and as pleasing to the eye as it was 20, 40, 60 years ago. Indeed. And we think that will go on in the next few years as well. Indeed. Well, Brian, uh, just final question then. What's your own favourite piece? Um, my own favourite piece is a lounge chair. Uh, it's the S411. And uh, there's an interesting story to that. Uh, the boys in the factory, um, they... they they were doing a little experiment, trying out new colors, uh, new sewing designs, and they put together uh, a lounge chair in white with the green, white, and orange headrest stitched into it. So they said, well, what do you think of this? And uh, uh, I thought it was so good, I bought it for myself. And, uh, <laughs> I have it in front of the telly. All right. And I'm looking at it now. I've just looked it up when you were saying that, and it looks so comfortable. Um, absolutely beautiful. All right. Well, listen, Brian Boyd, continued success. Uh, I presume you're you're staying put in Germany now. You're there for three decades. You're not coming home anytime soon. Well, we, we, we'll see how things go on. There's a lot, a lot to be done here in the next 10 years. Indeed. All right. Uh, CEO of Tonet, uh, thank you for joining us this morning on The Home but- Show. Thanks, Sinead. Coming up after the break, Roisin Murphy will be here with her top tips to get your home nice and cosy as we face into the autumn months. Contact us on 53106 if you'd like to get in touch. Grab yourself a cup of tea and a biscuit. You deserve it. And we'll have lots more for you after this. You're very welcome back to the home show here on News Talk. I'm Sinead Ryan. Before the break, uh, I was speaking to Brian Boyd, who is now CEO of prestigious international furniture company Tonet. And what an interesting conversation that was. And uh, welcome at this stage in the show, of course, as always, to Roisin Murphy, our design diva. I am so glad to be here every week. My highlight, meeting you in here. She doesn't mean that. I do actually mean it. I love it. You need to get out more, maybe. I know. This is my out. I'm out out here as my that community. You're out out, exactly. Well, you are very welcome along as always. And you're dressed very autumnally, given it's just October. So I'm going to be honest with you, I was mixing cement yesterday in the back garden for the first time ever. I decided I was going to lay bricks in my back garden. I had somebody had left a bag of cement and being the country woman I said, and so this is all I could find that was clean. And one of the one of the trousers is is not ironed. And I thought, this is disgrace I just run in so yes thank you Sinead I've just got away with it is what I know from that You were st- building bricks now what is that for is that part of your super duper kitchen uh, It is kind of I could, I'm held up on the floor
floor in the kitchen, held up on locks, but we're ploughing ahead. Um, but I was kind of trying to put a frame over my back garden gate. I have this beloved old door that I use as a gate and I'm kind of trying to create an entrance or focal point to the back garden. And I have old bricks and it's just that bits of timber and I'm going, will I have a go for it? No, it's really... A but portico. But the yeah, but yeah, yeah, sort of. But the kids actually thought it was okay. They're the big test because they go Jesus, and they didn't. They were like, "Oh, ma'am," because I, they, I laid bricks. You know, there you go. I'm very proud of myself. I haven't done it for twenty years. Sorry, you should be proud of yourself. Now, of course, with autumn lurking in the shadows, um, and you know, obviously the weather is changing and the temperature is changing. I thought it was much, much colder now this weekend than last but anyway with that in mind we will want to be keeping our homes nice and cosy over the coming months so we thought we would talk to you today or start off talking to you about warmth insulation Mm -hmm. keeping your home warm Mm -hmm. but we don't want to spend an entire retrofit project costing thousands to do Okay, all right. I'm going to say this comes very close to my heart because you do know I've built the extension on the back right and I put insulation everywhere I because I really believe in insulation like conserving your heat so I insulated the floors insulated the walls didn't do dry lining did the full job on it and then also it's wall to wall so it's a terrace so it's nice and tight Um, and then it was freezing I got a radiator in this week was really excited thought this is going to make the difference no 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 this is when I realised drafting, draft exclusion. Okay, okay. now when I think yes. of draft excluding and because I'm kind of queen of mean, um, I'm thinking You'll of the appreciate little this. sausage dogs Go, draft Well, listen, I thought, okay, there's little gaps. The floor wasn't fully finished and I didn't want to nag the floor, the, the guy who did the foundations. I was like, oh no, you know, because mine was a small job. Anyway, I thought I'd better get this done just to see if that is what's making dis- the difference. There was tiny gaps over the threshold. Mm. One significant one, but I packed it out with a little bit of tiling, insulation and bricks. Did what I could do. He came back, filled it in and it was warm. So there's no point putting insulation, heat, a radiator in unless you are airtight. OK, well, let's start with the cap in the house. Yeah. Insulating the attic. attic. Now, that's not a massive job. Is it a DIY job? or there's two, Well, I, everything's a DIY job. Like the, <laughs> you, it, say, you, you say that. Well, I, I'm not the strongest person or the tallest person. And I thought, OK, I'm going to try and lay bricks. And I quite did it. Right. And But insulation has come an awful long way. The biggest is, issue would be the rock wool. And it's so disgusting to lay down. But there's now sheep's wool is readily available. It's some people would even say it's better. It's if, yeah. it is it's got, a natural insulator. And we don't think about it because we think about it in terms of rugs. You think you know, and a nice but jumper. We've but t- spoken about it before yes. on this show. It's yeah. cheap as chips. It's cheap as chips. But the other thing it does is it doesn't compact down. But rock wool eventually will decrease in volume. Sheep's fleece or sheep's wool insulation keeps its form. It keeps that thickness. So mm. it's a very good, sustainable product. And they ha- it's available for attics and floors, etc. But that said, Kingspan, who are, I have to say, are superb innovators. They're just, the, the, we, are, we should be so proud that they're in the country. And they have basically any kind of what you would call boarded insulation that you can cut and that you can put very easily. Top hat is fundamentally one of the best places where, you, and you will save money doing that. Mm. But there's also, you can do spray on foam and such uh, and, and the like as well. I'm not a fan, a fan of spray foam insulation in attics. Right, okay. So it's more like for the interior walls where you punch these holes and, and shovel it through afterwards, like well, a retrofit? it depends on your roof structure. Yeah. What I would say is apply a, a careful caution if you've got an older property with spray foam insulation in your attic. 
there are Kingspan have a wonderful spray foam insulation product that is where you drill a hole in a wall and these micro beads they're recyclable mm. they're polystyrene which has been baked basically and got a glue that's put under high pressure and apparently that's fantastic but there's also dry lining products and all sorts of things like that. Okay. But cold bridging as well, okay? Cold bridges are basically where the heat, if you can imagine, like it's where a window happens, where a material happens and it's thin. It's not It's not insulated. Okay. Over where a skylight, if you do the upstands of a skylight, anything like that, make sure you insulate anything that is meeting yeah. the cold air. Yeah, that makes sense. Yes, and okay. also there's lots of new glass products available. Okay, so insulate and airtight. Excellent. All right. They are Roisin's rules for insulation. Now, it is gorgeous on Instagram. It's the perfect look if you've no pets or kids or anybody else in the house. Never mind. 50 shades of grey. What about the 100 shades of white? Roisin, I want to talk to you this week about the colour white um, because it's not just the colour white. There are colours white. And it seems to me that there is everything from yellowy cream right up to blinding white mm. um, and it can be really difficult to get the right shade and, and we've talked before on this show about yeah. the lack of light in Ireland yeah. and how your interior paint can actually make such a big difference. It makes a huge difference. The white interior was pioneered by a woman called Sylvie Mon, uh, Somerset Mom's uh, oh, wife right. or okay. sort of yeah. like they had was an argument about wife and it's a it's a really interesting story look it up but she made the first white interior in in London years ago in the that 1930s extraordinary yes. because white is just such an abundant Perennial. neutral colour yeah. but I think there's probably this sense because you don't see it in Edwardian design Victorian yeah. design everything but white because there is this association with White, poverty, poverty po- and white. Poor houses and white wash. There was a phrase: uh, too, uh, too, too, too rich for lime and too poor for paint. Lime mm. was associated with dairies and antibacterial. It was a working color. So that chalky right. lime white that has become so trendy was really the preserve of the super poor. Okay, now. That said, this woman appeared. She was a bit like the 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 white wedding dress. Like the white wedding dress is a very recent phenomenon. It is. Queen Victoria, um, 18, whatever it was, 30 something, decided to get married in white. But that was her choice. She was hugely fashionable at the time and everybody started wearing white. And but before that, it was your best dress. And likewise with this white interior, this woman pioneered the white interior. And it was an absolute groundbreaking interior. She opened in London. She had uh, drapes that she, she actually dipped in cement. Now, if you can imagine... Like women really as interior decorators, that was a relatively new phenomenon as well. And she, But she really drove this white interior. She had white uh, gardenias and lilies in this townhouse in London and it just, the concept exploded. And, and that's she hugely mirrors. fashionable now if you yeah. if you do that. So it obviously stood the test time. How was it received though at the time? It, it was, a, I think it was a, an overnight success. It was like one of these things because if you can imagine that heavy brocaded Victorian, that heaviness of uh, pre-World War One, that all of that stuff and it blew it all away. And again, that we were getting into a period where women were obviously coming out of the home as well. This idea of cleanliness. White has been one of those. It, it's a colour that uh, there's a lot of, I suppose it's the first colour we drew with. It was the chalk paintings were done in white. So white is a very ancient 
a thing that clicks off in our head and people believed that at one point if you wore white that it actually helped you cleanse your body it was that because that was the dirt going onto the white obviously yeah, and yeah. then also it's a sign of wealth clothing in white was a sign of wealth so you could clean them the white collar worker all that sort of stuff but the white doesn't exist on the colour wheel okay but if you go into any paint shop in the world you will see a hundred whites yeah, yeah ranging from lime to chalk to tinted with blue you know white is a it's and black is going there as well but white has owned that space for the last 100 years which kind of white are you are you a blue you know what I mean uh, yeah and also when you're choosing a, a white or a version of white for a room there is a huge difference even in the undercoat whether it's that blue tinge or yeah. the yellow tinge so what works best in what scenario okay I'll be honest with you now I'm white I would be obsessed with white I, and that thing of a kind of a cheap white, which is a brilliant white. Okay, mm. but at the same extent, um, if you are in a really, really dark north facing room, give me a brilliant white any day. Well, I don't care. I, d- I mean, light yeah, in the north. Because it's never going to look brilliant white. No, and you really want something that reflects it as much as mm. possible. Um, so for me, and also for me, I think it has that thing of the Nordic and that... They talk about Scandi interiors, but for me, it's that west of Ireland. It's the farmhouses of Ireland where they were lime white. But I found something really interesting in the research. Okay, you know, I'm very fond and we have discussed pink over the years. We have. Right. Okay. Sorry, back to pink again. It's the. It was a little bit of blood that was added to lime paint that gave those distinctive ah. pink exteriors. Ooh. Yeah, I know. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> I know. I was like, that's where it's from. I've always a subconscious show full of things you yeah. never knew and things you never wanted to know. Yeah, but, <laughs> but that's and but white essentially, I think a brilliant white. I love a lime white because it yeah. has that chalky finish. Yeah. But lime does mm. um it is very I mean and a lovely backdrop for our natural woods. Oh, uh, for art you may be collecting, for sculpture yeah. that you yeah. have. It's hard. I mean, this is why art galleries across the world use white. They are. And if you're very sensitive to colour, like for some of us, colour is too much almost. I think if you were, we, I mean, anybody in Ireland has been reared very and is rooted very closely to farm buildings. We're in agriculture and ancient. So that white is very familiar to us. It's the kind of thing we should be doing like kind of pine panelling and painting it is in our blood yeah. let's own it because white is still it's going to stay around I think for the next 10 years and as there well. are lovely lovely warm versions of it if that bright white just does, it doesn't float your boat yeah. Uh, now, each week, uh, oh, Roisin, yes. you bring me in an object of design. I'm seeing a large box in the corner, okay. stuffed in bubble wrap, which right. makes me immediately worried. Okay, this is a very oh. important piece. This is a piece, oh, you know, the sculpture. Can I it? No, not really. You can, of course. Sculpture in context oh, is a national, goodness, the, uh, the National uh, Botanic Gardens oh, has sculpture so in context every year. At the moment, it is full of sculpture. And I asked. This got an award, this piece. Now, it's in the National Botanic Gardens and it's done by Deirdre O'Reilly, who we've had on the show before. But this is a piece dedicated and I thought it was interesting following on our conversation about the pets. Is this a bird bath? It is not a bird bath. Well, it is a bird bath as well. It can be. Dee would say, of course it could be a bird bath, Roisin. It's really dedicated to her sister. She lost her sister who was an art teacher in Dominican school and she just... Now, we're always slagging her because she's never appeared in the ceramic piece. She never puts in a piece, but this year she was driven to. And it is really a memorial piece that you can put in your garden. Um, it fills up with water and in it are pressed fern leaves and moss from Cavan, from where her sister and her were from. But it's this, the rainwater, if you can imagine, will spill over and down the edges. And there's a piece, there's six of them set into a, kind of a, a moss, 
a circle of moss yes. in the garden. You can buy them individually, but there's something very beautiful about it when you see it set into it's the ground. Beautiful. Let me describe it uh, for listeners, and I know you'll pop a photograph of it up on your Instagram site yeah. after the show. It is um, a, a variegated green um, glazed ceramic, really almost majolica actually, with the, with the shine on it. Mm. And it's in three parts, but there could be more because I can see holes here attaching another That's, part for that, it. That, no, that goes into the ground, that piece. And it's it just um, like, it's like one of those, um, you know when you see those champagne fountains from the yeah, 1930s. Exactly. <laughs> the, the, the liquid trickles down in it and it's perfect. It's just so beautiful and all these ferns yeah. pressed into, into it. And they're native of little bits of fern in the moss but the, o- different, the other thing is that when the water fills up it looks like a floating lily pad so oh, the idea it is meant course. to be full of water and I particularly love this because I love things in Ireland because it's a bit like the lime white we are a wet watery nation I love the idea that this is meant for the rain but it sits in the garden You can, and they look incredible they look like giant um, lily ponds and I just think if you have um, it's a lovely memorial to somebody you know we're changing the as we're changing culturally in terms of how we remember our dead and that it is a very nice thing to have something in the garden like that which is like a little natural piece of art it is it's absolutely beautiful so pop it up your Instagram site Roisin Murphy Architect okay and that'll be up after yeah. the show and I will follow it through and on also as well. one shout out as well it is natural recycling or in the recycling month it is that month um, and the Rediscovery Centre are launching again their Rediscovery Month and doing lots of initiatives about upcycling furniture redoing clothes so uh, everybody it's reduce reuse recycle month month. All right. Okay. And we are big fans of that here on The Home Show. And that is all we have time for this week, Roisin. Thank you so much again for all of that work that you did for us. Now, that is all we have time for. So if you'd like to get involved in the show, question for me, something you'd like Roisin to cover, uh, do let us know on 53106 at 30 cent or email us at thehomeshow at newstalk.com. We do look at every single one of those. And don't forget to check out The Home Show podcast on the News Talk app. Now, next week, we're moving to a new slot. We'll be up bright and early, 8am. If that's too early for you, don't forget we are on podcast 24-7 and you can listen back to any show at any time. Now, my thanks to the production team this week, series producer Gareth Mulhall, Simon Keane, Sinead Kyo, JJ Clark and Stephen McLoon, who was on sound. Bobby's next. He will be chatting to three of the country's finest butchers to see how they've been getting on over the last 18 months. Have a fantastic Fantastic weekend, and we will see you all at the earlier time of 8 a.m. next week. The Home Show with Color Trend. Bring home Irish color with Color Trend paint. This is News Talk.